Hello, and welcome to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. This week's guest on In Her Room is Susanna Conway. Grief can be a time of great loss and also great awakening. It was just such a grief that brought Susanna Conway back into her words and back into her life in 2006. From a woman facing life alone after the death of her lover, she is a fierce and vibrant creatrix. She shares her personal wisdom, the journey toward reclaiming her wholeness, and tools for women to step into grace and creativity through words, photography, and creating sacred space. Susanna is an artist, a doting auntie, and a wild woman who loves adventures with her Polaroid cameras, good poetry, and the scent of possibility. Susanna, it is so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me, love. It's a pleasure. I'm really excited to talk with you about your online courses and how you came into the blogging world. Um, You are in the cohort of the very first blogs I ever started reading way back in 2006. And so it feels like such a huge honor to me to have you on the show to talk about writing. Wow, that's right. That's right at the beginning. You found me then. I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember you, of course. So, yeah, I mean, it was a wild west back then. (laughs) Yes. But at the same time, it felt so much cozier and smaller. Whereas now there's there's so many blogs and so much stuff happening online. It's it's um, sometimes it feels a bit overwhelming. So, yeah, sometimes I, I think about the early days, but I'm pretty happy to be here now. I love it. Well, I want to know, what is writing to you? Um, It's breathing, basically. I imagine other guests have probably said that, but it is. It's breathing. It's how I figure out the world. So, and I've always, well, I say I've always done it. I started writing a a journal, which I called my diary, back when I was 11. And I've never stopped. Um, For some reason, the way my brain works, I, I figure stuff out by writing it down. Um, so I was I mean my diaries from when I was little are hilarious it's just you know that I fancied George Michael and Wham and you know my guinea pig died and it's all you know very very tender sweet things that I you know I needed to write down Um, but I was always trying to just record my day that felt really important for some reason you know and maybe I was a typical girl and sticking pictures in my diary and and wanting to yeah just record and then as I got older my journal just became even more important because it was how I could get a lot of my emotional stuff out. And for some reason, it's the alchemy of getting it down, written in ink on a piece of paper, you know, in a notebook, um, is a is like a relief, you know. It mm. just, I feel better. I can think more clearly. Um, I kind of, I don't know, I can I can just make more sense of of what's going on inside me by writing it down. And that's never stopped. And, you know, I, I went to art college, I studied photography, then I moved on to journalism. So I was writing even more. And obviously now the stuff I'm doing today, it, writing has always been this theme um, that it's just, yeah, it's just, it's my blood. It's my breath. It's, it's just how I operate, really. Mm. I love that. So I mentioned earlier that I started reading you back in 2006 when you created a blog called Ink on My Fingers. Yeah. And at the time, you were in the midst of grieving your 
partner who had died suddenly. And writing was a way of coming back into, I think, the social world as well as into your own skin. And I'd really love to hear how that blog changed your life and how it brought you to where you are now. Oh my God, it changed everything completely. I mean, I didn't have any plans for the blog when I created it. I'd been read, I'd found blogs online, read a few blogs, left a few comments, got to know a few few bloggers, which was really sweet, you know, through emailing, and then decided to start my own. And it was, as you said, it was my way of, of kind of showing my face to the world again, but in quite a, quite a quiet, unassuming way. Um, I just wanted to write stuff down and, yes, talk about my grief. Not all the ins and outs. I was 13 months into the bereavement when I started the blog, so it wasn't like the rawest stuff that I was feeling. But, I mean, some days were, were still really bad. And, you know, I remember a few blog posts that I that I wrote that were, that were quite raw. Um, but mainly it was my way of getting back out there, exploring my creativity again I mean the first year after he died I didn't really do anything I had to furnish the place I was living in because I'd moved and sort of gather all this stuff around me and just try and make sense of it I was going to therapy and going for long walks by the sea and I just think I was just in shock for a really long time but when I started the blog that's when I sort of picked up a camera again and was writing more I mean obviously I'd always been journaling but putting it online and connecting with other people. That was the bit that was important. It wasn't just um, writing for the sake of it, because I, I, I was doing that in my notebooks, but actually connecting with other people, some of whom had also lost someone. So that was really powerful to be able to have that connection, um, to get comments on my posts. I mean, God, that was amazing. And to feel that people actually gave a shit about about me really about what I was going through and what I was sharing so that feeling of community was huge um and incredibly healing because actually in my in my bereaved state I didn't really want to go out and be with people in the world particularly you know it was it was safer at home I was still really tender um I wasn't about to go out to the pub I mean that just it just wasn't really on my radar so but having that community of people where we were connecting with words and images. I mean, that was just speaking to my soul. Mm. So I could I could just be more, more open with them. Um, and so within the first year of blogging, I flew out to Seattle, first time in America, had a retreat with I think it was six or seven other women, all of whom we'd met on on you know met on on our blogs. Um, and we'd connected. So we had a weekend together. I was over there, I took loads of photos and it just kind of lit this fire in me again. Um, so for the first three years of my, my blogging journey, if you like, it was just to blog for the absolute pleasure of it. Um, there was no, you know, there was no motivation to monetize my blog or any of the stuff that we think about these days. It was just to write um, and connect and enjoy it. Um, and then three or so years after I started, I moved to a new city and I was asked to teach a evening class in photography which is you know which is what I was spending a lot of my time on then um, and they already had a technical class so they wanted something a bit more creative so I put together this um, eight or ten week I can't remember now eight week class evening class once a week and I called it unraveling and it was all about taking pictures of, our, of ourselves and our lives and sharing them each week and 
you know, just seeing what happened. I mean, it was a big experiment for me, but I was kind of drawing on stuff that I'd been doing with the blogging and the journaling. Anyway, so it, it went really well and I blogged about it and I had loads of people email me, say, well, I'm not in England, but I'd really love to, you know, to do this stuff with you. How can we do that? And so I, that's when I thought about, well, can I teach this online? And I only knew one other person that had done something like that. It was a, pr a pretty new radical idea. Um, so it took me a couple of months to figure it out, but, but I did. And I, I made a little website and figured out a PayPal button and, and offered it as this, this class. Um, and within the first week, I had 100 people signed up. I was like, shit. I, I could not believe it. I couldn't believe it. And of course, then I felt, oh, my goodness, now I have to really do this and mm -hmm. had, all the, had all the panic. Um, but it went really well. And it just it just grew from there. And I discovered that I actually really love doing this kind of stuff online. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, you know, as the years have gone by, I've, I've gotten better and better at it. Um, but it, it, but it, it brought those things together that I love. It brought words, it brought pictures, it brought community, all the stuff that I'd been loving during my days as just in inverted commas of a blogger um it brought it all brought it all together and I could share what I was learning and it, it just felt so good um because after he died I wasn't working for a really long time you know I mean financially you know I was in a really bad way so it felt really beautiful and empowering to be able to start supporting myself doing my creative work you know I'd been working as a journalist before which was okay, but it didn't light me up the way mm. that what I do now lights me up. So, yeah, blogging brought all this magic into my world. I could never have predicted. And actually, I think if I had have known it would have come, I would just would have been really scared. <laughs> it would have just been really intimidating. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of marvel at, at all the stuff that's out there now because you can do so many of these big, expensive courses that will teach you how to rock it online. I just think, God. That, that just doesn't fit my personality. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm much more interested in the kind of organic way of doing things and figuring it out. I don't like being told what to do. So, you know, and that's obviously how it went down. I just had to figure it out. Um, but it worked. Um, yeah, very grateful. Blogging, amazing. I mean, it, what a gift. It really was a gift. Yeah, absolutely. And from your blog came one of your books uh, called This I Know. And um, you write in that book about both your bereavement, but also really that journey of coming back into your skin. And it's 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 part memoir and and I think part uh, roadmap for not just uh, someone in the midst of grieving a loved one, but really in any sort of process of coming back into our skin and coming back into ourselves. Um, you mentioned Unraveling, which was your course that you ran for several years, and thousands have taken that course and been changed by it. Um, and your book is sort of another way into that. Um, how, how was writing that book for you? Um, not easy. Uh, slightly terrifying it was the interesting part it was easier to write the blood and guts of what I wanted to say it was harder to carry the responsibility of actually having to write a book capital B um, that was the hard part um, but it took me about six months and 
what I had to do was after shuffling around for a couple of months of thinking, how can I structure this? How can I do it? Oh, God, who am I to do this? I then just had to treat it like a job. And I wrote it full time while running my courses. Um, And I would make myself sit down every morning and I'm like, right, today I have to write a thousand words. Go. And that's what I had to do. And some days were better than others. But the it was so it was the actual act of writing. It was quite hard sharing my heart. Um, I did have days when I, well, like I said, who am I to do this? But on the other hand, I'd always been sharing my heart. So that wasn't as hard. Um, it was, yeah, it was more the responsibility of actually having to come up with, you know, 50,000 words. It's not even that long a book, but they were 50,000 blood soaked, sweat soaked words mm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. I, had to, I had to craft. I mean, I look at it now and I, I, there are bits I really cringe at, but I think every, every writer does. That's quite normal. Um, but I still to this day get the most amazing emails from people who've read it and, have, you know, and it's helped them. So I just think, well, it almost doesn't really have anything to do with me now. It's out there doing its job um, and the people that need it find it. And that's, you know, it's a portrait of me at that age. But I wrote it, you know, four years ago now. And, and you know, I've moved on since then. But mm-hmm. the lessons are, are truer than ever, really. And I love that you call it a roadmap. Every time I try and describe the book, I still stumble with how to call it. I'm like, you yeah, know, it's like a creative memoir. I could never come up with it. <laughs> well, what is it really? But you're right. Roadmap. That feels good. That sounds good. It is. It's kind of a bit of my story, but also how I started unraveling myself and frig- figuring my shit out. You know, and there's a couple of chapters in there that, that don't feel very um, finished yet, but that's because I'm still living them. So it's it's like I said, it's a snapshot of a woman at the end of her thirties who's moved through bereavement and is is figuring her out herself out, and who's very into creative things. So mm. yeah, no, I'm glad it's it's doing its it's complete it's fulfilling its mission. Is how it always feels when I get a lovely email from someone. I just think, oh, go little book. You know, the little book's out there and it's, you know, she's doing her, she's doing her magic. So that, yeah, that feels good. I'd love it if you might uh, share something from the book with us. Mm, Yes, I'm prepared for you saying that. Um, Let me find the page though. And let me find my glasses. Oh, you see, age, love it. Um, There was a bit I was going to read at the end of the first chapter, but it feels a bit dry now I look at it again. So I've just got a tiny little bit from the middle of the first chapter. This is the chapter that talks about um, the grief and the loss. In many ways, our love affair continued even after he was gone. Just because he wasn't there in body didn't mean he wasn't there in spirit. But it was my own mind that remade him every night, the dreams torturing me in their realness. He'd be there by my side, ethereal, insubstantial, but there. I'd be lying on the sofa and he'd be beside me, running his hands down my back, whispering words against my skin that I'd forget the moment I woke up. So many mornings began with tears. It took a long time for the sensory memories to subside. I'd think I could smell him as I lay in bed, that I could feel him touching my arm. If I closed my eyes, I could feel his lips on mine. I missed him in an acutely physical way my body so used to the imprint of him inside me. I didn't know how to balance my yearning for him with my despair. It was maddening. In retrospect, I understand why I drank so much, why I had to dull the aching to get some peace. I found it so hard to switch off, 
as if were I to let go for a second to take a break from the ever-vigilant awareness, I would fall down and dissolve. So I sat at my desk every day, coiled like a spring, perched on the seat, waiting. At times I'd purposely make it hurt more by playing songs that reminded me of him, silly lyrics we'd sung together in the car. I'd open a bottle of wine, listening to the music, and drink and drink until I had to crawl to my bedroom and get into bed. Mm. And that, I did that a lot in that first year. I really did. And it's funny, it's, I mean, it's been 10 years since he died. So I am very okay with it, you know, like really, really okay with it. And it's, it's, it took a long time to get to this point, obviously. Um, but what's lovely is, I mean, we were only together for two years. So I've been without him so much longer than I was ever with him. But what's been the most interesting thing that still fascinates me is that I feel, I still feel connected to him. But not him, the human being who was walking around, mm-hmm. but the the energy of him, the essence of him. You know, he's still around, and now that he's no longer in that human um, screwed up body, he's I don't know. He's like a friend of forever. You know, he's just always helping me. He's one of my angels. That's mm-hmm. how it feels. Um, and because it's been such a long time, I'm not sad that you know we didn't get more time together. I'm. I'm not sad about it anymore. I'm, you know, I am okay with it. I'm, I'm looking forward to f- falling in love again and, and having all of that lovely stuff in my life again. Mm. Uh, but he will always be my friend. And that feels amazing. I, it, it actually feels like this incredible, it's like I've got someone on the other side who's really in my corner, mm-hmm. you know, and I've got family members there, of course, but, but he's over there as well. And he's just, he's pulling for me. Um, and he still leaves me things to find. And I mean, all the spooky woo-woo shit that happens is real. Mm-hmm. It's real. It really is. And I've had enough fucking weird things happen to know that there is something after we die. There is, you know, mm. and that's my personal experience. But it, it's true. I think it's true. You know, I have my own little bits of proof that make it feel true. So that helps as well. You know, it's it's not like he, I mean, he did vanish completely and it took me a lot of years to come to terms with that, but I don't know, he's still around. So, yeah, amazing. Yeah. One of the things that has come out of your work and has come out of Unraveling and your blog is a course you teach called The Sacred Alone. Mm. And I'd really love for you to talk about that um, because I think that it is, I think that it's a, a really important and valuable tool for us, especially as women, to be able to learn to be okay with ourselves just as ourselves, um, not with the trappings of family or partners or lovers, um, but to be okay being alone with ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's the core of everything, really. Um, If you... uh, it is that's why I created the course I mean I had to learn it I think as we all do um before I went through bereavement I'd never really been on my own I'd always been in a relationship um and I'm an introvert so I like time on my own but you'd be amazed how much I managed to fill my time um before I actually was forced to really truly be alone um but then what I learned from this time on my own is that 
you start getting to know yourself and that can be quite a confrontational thing to have to go through to actually have to really sit with who you are I mean it's no wonder we just have the tv on all the time and Mm. drink a glass of wine and just oh let's go out let's do something else let's distract ourselves because actually sitting with yourself can be quite hard but then the amazing thing is once you start getting used to it once you actually give yourself some space to be with yourself you'll be you know you'd be amazed how much of a friend you have there I think that's the other thing that I discovered is that I I really am my own best friend, as cheesy as that sounds. Um, the the one person I can absolutely rely on is me. Mm. Um, and I really appreciate that so much. I mean, there are other people that I rely on as well, but when it really comes down to it, I've got me. Um, and it's not a self-aggrandizing thing. It's not self well, self-centered in a good way. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I look after me, right? Because no one else is going to do that. You know, not my mum, not my sister, not a boyfriend or a partner if I had one. You know, it really is down to me. Um, and the whole "put your oxygen mask on first thing is so true. It's so true because if you if you can't look after yourself, how can you truly look after anyone else? Mm. You know, how can how can you? I don't know. It, it, I see this with a lot of mums actually. A lot of mums that I know, and they just give and give and give and give all their energy away. And they think that they're expendable because their kids come first. And of course your kids come first. But if you give so much that you're just going to fall down <laughs> with nothing, then you can't look after them. So actually, it's it's in your interest to, to feed yourself as well and have oxygen as well, because then you can look after them even better. Um, and you know we all need a bit of sustenance we really do and and whether it's creatively or I can't think of anything beyond creatively actually but whatever you need to to fill you up and feed you we all really need that we need to fill our cups again so that we can then you know share with our partners and our our family or work or you know all the stuff that we have to do we need to come from a full place otherwise you just get drained and oh god it's impossible to do anything Mm. um Mm -hmm. so the whole the whole thing with the sacred alone um and i was obsessed with the name of the course long before i even created it because i thought oh god the sacred alone that's exactly it um the premise of the course is just um every day i share a five minute meditation so really short really doable we try a little different kind of meditation every day um and i i give them a short essay to read about the topic and then three journaling questions so the idea is just to create 20 minutes every day 14 days to have a bit of time to yourself and rather than just having this empty time and that can be quite scary I'm giving you something to do so a little meditation bit of journaling you know you could make a cup of coffee or do it in the evening with some wine or whatever feels good you could get your oracle cards out you could read your bible you know whatever feels meaningful to you you can create this little space just for you um, and I've had some wonderful feedback from, from people who've done the course because it's like, God, this is the first time I've actually done that. And it and it can be such a transformational thing. And I went, I love the idea of creating a bit of ritual around it and lighting a candle. But, you know, we don't always have time for that. But even just being able to close your eyes for a couple of minutes and just recenter yourself, you know, and, and, and be in your heart just for those few minutes is just incredibly nourishing. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it's probably the course out of all of them that I'm most proud of. And mm. it's not the longest, it's not even the most dynamic in some way. But it's the, 
it's just it's just the most important one I think um and actually from there a lot of the new stuff I'm going to be creating this year and going forward has kind of been pivoting off that I that idea so it's it, it kind of felt like the gateway into like this new um dimension of the stuff I want to be doing so yeah that that made it feel important as well but yeah just a bit, a bit of time to yourself really you know everyone needs it it's true I love that and it's interesting because I it's I don't know that it's really a true contrast but it, it seems so different from some of your other courses I'm thinking of photo meditations which is both parallel but also has a really technical aspect um, to it that you bring from your years as an art student and as a professional photographer um, that makes photography feel really accessible and um, something that anybody can do even just with their phone. Um, and I'm curious how you decided to create photo meditations since it's so much not a writing course, whereas your other work really is about writing and journaling and blogging. Well, I mean, writing and photography are kind of equal in my brain. So it was it was easy to create. But um, I didn't want to make a super technical course because you could have the flashiest camera and know all the all the ways of using it. But if you can't, if you don't know anything about composition, um, you're not going to create stuff that you're happy with and, and a beautiful picture. And by beautiful, I mean, Actually, you know, a better word is successful. A successful picture, one that works and conveys something, usually has good composition, you know, and composition is just the bones that the image hangs on. Um, so I wanted to teach a course about that um, and then how to give your pictures a bit more meaning by being more thoughtful in how you take them, you know, and it's all about slowing down, thinking about composition, throwing the rules out when you're ready to do that. Um, telling stories with your pictures you know I touch on f-stops and shutter speed I think one time because it's so not important which is why I like everyone to use their phones actually because then you don't have to worry about all that stuff you can if you want to because it's you know it, it, it always helps um, but actually I'm more interested in how they create images that tell stories or that convey something about them or that capture a mood that's when photography becomes really delicious um, and touches people more. Mm. So, yeah, so, for, so you know, it's kind of, it's like, it's the same with writing. You know, you want to touch, you want to touch someone. You want them to feel something. And you can do that in pictures or you can do that in words. And you can, you can create a story with words and it can feel like you're looking at a picture. So they're kind of interchangeable. And I think obviously they complement each other so beautifully. Um, but yeah, so photo meditations was, I could have gone a lot further with the meditation bit, but I've always, you know, I've always said online that photography is like meditation for me because it makes me slow down and it makes me become very present to the moment. Um, so I think I, I've been, I've been pondering on a, a more, uh, a, another photography course that kind of looks a bit more contemplation in that way, but you know, that's simmering away in, on the back burner for now, but. I definitely wanted to start with composition mm. and then moving into, you know, how to say what you want to say in your pictures without mm. needing to be really tricksy about it, but just how to bring a bit more thoughtfulness to it, really. I'm curious the best advice you've ever received. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, I have no answer to that question. (laughs) (laughs) As you know, Um, I truly, truly can't remember anyone giving me advice because I I never look for it. And unsolicited advice gets ignored. Um, So, yeah, no, I don't have an answer to that. But there have been people in my life that have been very wise um, and, you know, have been very helpful. Um, But the best advice for me comes out of my journal, really. Mm. I don't know if that's a really boring answer, but I kind of give myself advice. Um, And I sometimes I'll, you know, I'll be writing something in a kind of stream of consciousness, just getting it all out on the page. And do you ever do the thing where you read it back and you're like, oh, I didn't write that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't know where that came from. And that's those are the times when I sort of channel something and I read it back and I'm like, wow, that's God, that's really helpful. I didn't write that. Yeah. <laughs> and it came from somewhere else. So and often some of the most useful things is when I read back a journal entry from a while ago that I've, you know, forgotten about and I'm flicking through my notebook or you know, my previous notebook when I've started a new one. And I'll come across a page that's really helpful. And, you know, and I I'll just read it back and think, oh, God, I, yeah, I need it's, it's like my past self communicating to my future self. So that's where a lot of the best advice, if you want to call it, comes from. Insight is a better word. You know, my journals give me insight. Mm-hmm. And that's something that has never really let me down, actually. Now I think about it. So, yeah, someone giving me advice, I'd, I'd figure it out on my own. You know, I don't really listen to advice. I think that one of the best things someone told me, if I really rack my brain here, I remember when I found my first therapist in the first year after he died. And she, she, she was amazing. We worked together for three years. She really helped me save myself. I was going to say saved me, but she helped me save myself. Um, and I remember her saying right at the beginning, because I said, you know, how long is this going to last? <laughs> stupid thing to say but you are you're you're so wretched I was like how long is this gonna last and she said well some people can you know it'll take a month and some people never get over it and that was actually weirdly comforting you know it's not like this is something that has a definite timeline or you're expected to do this or the other it was it was yeah I remember her saying that to me and and it it did it comforted me for some reason because I thought I'm just going to feel what I feel then and and I can't stop it I can't Mm. get through it quicker um and it made me understand what I really felt about him because I I grieved so deeply so in some way the grief was comforting because it it shows that you you loved um so yeah so that was probably the most helpful thing someone said to me without it being advice there you go there's your answer (laughs) You have talked a lot about the importance of journaling and how it's been a central part of your life since you were a child. And um, you recently shared a photo on Instagram of your suitcases or or trunks full of your journals. Um, And I'm really curious about what carrying those journals has meant for you as you've had them and looked through them and um, just knowing that they are there with you. Yeah, it's kind of like my legacy, not for anyone, just for me. Um, when I shared that picture on Instagram or Facebook, someone left a comment saying they they always burn their journals. And I'm always amazed when 
some, you know, when I hear that or someone shares that with me, because I think, wow, I could never do it. And it's not because I think they're so special or precious, but for me, it's a comfort to know that that I still have them. You know, I mean, I still have my diaries from, you know, when I was a teenager. I mean, hilarious to read through, <laughs> really just amazing. But then in those pages, I've got my first ever sexual experience chronicled in there. You know, I've got the first time I fell in love. I've got, it's all written down. Mm-hmm. And it's this incredible connection to, you know, my life to the last 30 years. I mean, I haven't chronicled every day, obviously. There were, and there are gaps in there of a year where I didn't write anything. But, you know, I've got a heck of a lot of my life, you know, recorded. Um, and it's a gift. It really is. And and the proof of that is after he died, I know I keep talking about him, um, I have our two years chronicled in my mm. diaries. And that is so precious to me. Um, and it's quite hard to read them back. I, it's not something I, I've only read them back once, actually, and that was enough. Um, but it, it means a lot to me to have them because I don't have, you know, you don't actually collect a lot of stuff in two years, you know, you really don't. So having our relationship chronicled is is quite special. And it, it's another bit of proof to me that journal writing is, is a, you know, is a good thing to do for me anyway. That's how I like to how I like to remember. And, you know, and you have photos and that's lovely. But writing about how you felt really transports you back into that that moment that you're writing about um so I love that I have all of my diaries and my journals it's I'd I'd never get rid of them and I've always thought if my house was on fire I mean before I had the trunks that I keep them and I used to just keep them in you know in a chest of drawers I always thought right I'll keep I'll grab the drawer and I'm going to chuck it out the window so at least (laughs) some of them will be saved Mm-hmm. And that's always been my thought. I mean, now I don't know how I'd pick the trunks up actually, <laughs> but it's because I didn't. I don't have any space in the flat for another chest of drawers, so I, I bought these, you know, these metal suitcases, and they look they look quite cool. So that's nice. So having them out, you know, in in my in my space, they they don't look bad. So mm-hmm. I quite like how they look, but they they carry so, you know, their contents is so much more important than their outsides. But yeah, I'd um, I'd drag those. <laughs> those suitcases to the window and I'd chuck them out and I'd yeah I'd try and keep them I mean maybe the fact that they're made of tin ah means that they're going to get protected in the fire they might just get singed this is what I think about <laughs> they are to me so yeah I love yeah. that fireproof trunks great <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious if you have any um specific creative habits or rituals around uh, writing and I'm thinking specifically about journaling now uh no not really um because the trick with journaling is to just do it whenever you need to I think you can make a ritual around it definitely and that's sometimes that's nice to do you get your tarot cards out light a candle uh, put some music on you know you can kind of seduce yourself on the page which is lovely um but my well, the only, I suppose the only consistent thing is I always, now I always write in a moleskin, a, a large lined black moleskin. That's always been, well, for the last 30 notebooks have been black moleskins. So I suppose that's my only regular thing. But no, if I had to get myself in a certain mood journal, I'd never do it. You know, life's unpredictable. So the only thing that works for me is I always have a pen inside the journal and it's always around. You know, I, I, I always know where it is. And if I need to, I open the page and I write something down. That's it. 
you know, I think as soon as you start making it a bit precious, it, it actually makes it harder to do it in some way. It's the same with, you know, if I only did it in beautiful leather covered parchment notebooks, you'd never do it because you wouldn't want to sully the page. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so I always use the moleskin, which some people might think is quite a fancy notebook, but I use it because I like the paper. I like how my pen feels on it. Um, and I know I can go to, well, I, I ordered them off Amazon, actually, or, you know, wherever. I can get another one easily. And they're mm -hmm. all the same. And, you know, th that's good. And I like that they all look the same. I really, really like that. I'm a bit OCD with that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I like to just keep it simple. And, you know, and there'll be times when New Year's Eve, I'd like to stay in and I'll do a big sort of tarot slash oracle spread and write down all the things for the year and, you know, make a nice little fancy ritual out of that, which I love. Or, you know, a bit of a bit of new moon specialness. That's all lovely. Um, but really, my mulsing just never lets me down if it's always around. And I can write down one sentence or I could write for two hours. It's, it's whatever I need. You know, I don't want to make it so that I have to do it in the morning or I have to do three pages of morning pages. And anything too structured like that just stresses me out, actually. Mm. I like things to be organic and as and when I need them. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to have any reason to make myself feel bad. I think that's one of the, the core lessons in really learning how to like and appreciate yourself is don't do things that make you feel bad. And I think if you set up this structure that it's got to be done a certain way, when you don't do it, you feel like you failed. And mm -hmm. that, that doesn't help anyone. Um, so, yeah, so no rules as and when I need it. But, okay, the only rule, moleskin notebook. That's the only rule. <laughs> One of the things that you talk about um, and something that you love and have shared is what travel means for you and going new places and discovering new things and new people and new ideas. And I'm, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that and why travel, why going new places? Because the world is amazing. Why wouldn't you? To be honest... In bit of full disclosure, I haven't been on a plane in over a year because um, last year I was photographing my next book, which is a coffee table book of photographs of London. Um, so I spent six months photographing my city and there wasn't time, let alone energy, to go anywhere else. But actually what it, what it taught me, apart from the fact that I live somewhere really awesome and I love London, <laughs> is you can you can travel wherever you live as well as getting on a plane or going somewhere new you know like like i discovered parts of the city i've never been to actually pretty much 75% of everywhere i went for the book i've never <laughs> been to you know you always end up going to the same places so that was actually that was quite a revelation or maybe more of a reminder you know there's always new places to find and i loved it because what i like doing is taking pictures so going somewhere new to take pictures, you know, it's like a dream. It's a dream to me. And every time I go somewhere different, I learn a bit more about myself. You know, I learn how I can rely on myself. I get to connect with people I've never met before. And it, it, it doesn't even have to be meeting a friend there or, or someone I've connected with online or, you know, especially like when I go to the States, I'm always meeting up with people that read my blog or, you know, we've connected usually in that way. Um, but even just talking to people in shops or in the street, 
you know, people on the plane, on the, you know, on the train, wherever you are, just different people. I had the coolest conversation with someone at the top of the top of the Rockefeller Center last time I was in New York, this this guy that was there. <laughs> you just never know who you're going to talk to. And actually, as an introvert, it's quite nice to kind of have a little little chat and then, you know, fall back and do something else. It's just these little little pockets of connection, which I actually really like because then I also appreciate traveling alone because you're on your own little adventure. And and I love that. I mean, I don't I don't want to do it all the time. I like being at home. Um, but when I do go out into the world, I, it, just new things to photograph. It just it makes my brain explode, which is the best feeling ever, because there are so many amazing things to photograph. And, and sometimes the world just looks like this constant photo opportunity. But it doesn't always have to be the big snazzy sites, you know, like the top of the Rockefeller Center. It can be. God, just the most mundane things, but they catch my eye. And and even when I'm walking to the supermarket here where I live, I'll still get my phone out and take a picture of something that I see. You know, I'm always trying to find new things to look at, new ways to look at things. So, of course, when you're somewhere new, it's um, it's just like this orgy of new stuff. Mm. It's mm-hmm. just fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, and, and that, it feeds you stories. It gives you things to write about, things to journal about. It's if we only ever, you know, look at the same four walls and walk down the same four streets, you know, you really do need a rich interior life to kind of make make something out of that. I think, you know, the, the world is amazing. We need to look at it a bit more and explore it because you never know what's going to happen. It's and do it while you can, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, soon enough we won't be able to do it. So let's do it while we can. Mm. You mentioned your upcoming book, London Town, which is going to be published by Chronicle. And I believe it's coming out in 2016. Yes. Yeah, in the spring. Excellent. And your online courses, uh, The Sacred Alone, Photo Meditations, and Blogging from the Heart, which we didn't really get to talk about, but which is about finding creative ways to share your personal story online. Yes. That's exactly what it's about. Yeah. I... I want to ask you two questions um, that I just thought of, and I'm really interested to know your answer to. And the first is, um, what is one thing that you have not taken a photograph of that you want to take a photograph of in the future? Me. I want to take a selfie of me with my new love Mm. yeah that makes me feel tearful but in a good way Mm -hmm. yeah that's what I really want to take a picture of me I want to take a selfie with my stupid phone (laughs) (laughs) of me and my guy yeah because I'm very ready to meet him so that's a picture I haven't taken yet and I really look forward to taking that and if it's okay with him to sharing it Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to give you a chance to share um, something that you really want listeners to take away from this about coming into your own skin, being a writer, seeing the world. Something that... Um, something that you carry with you from your own experience 
I got an email this morning um, from someone who reads my blog, uh, thanking me, you know, for the stuff that I share and how helpful it is. Um, and she was saying how she'd taken the last time I ran unraveling, she'd taken the course and she only got as far as the week where we talk about adornment. Um, and then she couldn't go any further and she just didn't feel ready. And she was saying how, you know, until she can turn her self-hate into self-love, you know, she's just not, and she's not there yet or something. And it, I found it quite upsetting to read and I really felt for her. And I haven't actually replied yet because I'm not sure what to say. I need to think about it. But I just thought about how, God, self-hate just sounds so hard and and so difficult, you know. And I understand. And I felt that in the past. You know, I get it. I really do get it. Um, and you want to sort of spout things about, well, you know, if all these things you can do to love yourself. And it's all very well and good saying all of that stuff. But what I've been musing on the last few months and really kind of getting in my core is a lot of this stuff is just about kindness. Um, and if we could be a little bit kinder to ourselves, I think there's just so much we could achieve and transform and create and heal. Um, and I think it's the same in your dealings with other people, if we could all just be a little bit kinder <laughs> to everyone, I think the whole world would transform. You know, I'm, I'm getting to a point where I'm always convinced of it. If everyone, if everyone was kind to themselves, can you imagine what the world would be like? Like, seriously. Mm. So, yeah, that's, that's my thing. Kindness. Like, really thinking about what does that mean? What is, how could you be kinder to yourself? in your thoughts and your you know your actions like really what does that mean and, and how what would that look like what would that feel like um and how could you explore that just being kinder when you look in the mirror being kind to that um that person you see there because he or she is doing her best his best our best we're doing our best um and I think sometimes we just need to remember that because it's really hard to forget I mean I forget all the time I wake up in the morning and think god what do I look like? I see anything about getting older. You just look tired all the time. Sucks. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I found a white hair in my eyebrow this morning. <laughs> the fuck is that all about? So yes, yeah, so there are there are mornings when I don't think kind things, but then then I just I just laugh at myself and just think, oh my thinking, and then I remember what's actually important. Mm. And you know, I think sometimes yeah, you can let yourself off the hook, but just think about kindness just be a little bit kinder and see what happens see see how that transforms a few things because I think that that could be the root of so much transformation um and it's not going to hurt that's the thing it's not going to hurt anything it's not going to make anything worse mm -hmm. so maybe it's a good place to start and and see where you go from there so yeah kindness capital k I love it well, Susanna, it's been so great to have you on the show. I feel like we could uh, keep talking for days. And so I'm really grateful that you shared this time and your wisdom with all of us here. Thank you. I honestly could talk for hours now. I'm on it. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, I'm just have another coffee and we can just, we'll just keep sailing. No, thank you for having me and thank you for your thoughtful questions. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, love.
It really has. And if listeners want to learn more about you, your courses, your photography, and everything that you do, they can find you at SusannaConway.com. You are listening to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. I'm so glad you're a part of the In Her Room community. Without listeners like you, the show would not be possible. On our website, in-her-room.com, you'll find show notes, learn how to work with me, and have an opportunity to contribute financially to keep In Her Room on the air. Next week on In Her Room, we'll talk with curator of narrative relics, remnants, and curiosities, Kathleen Delia Mulrooney. I'm Sarah Blackthorne. Let's tell our stories together. <laughs>